Thank you, Matt and Ben, Caleb and Kendall. That is awesome. Thank you for putting together that life hack video. We're going to have more of those in the weeks to come because what is a life hack? A life hack is this little thing that we can do, this little small thing we can do that can make our life better. It improves our life in some way. So thank you so much, guys, for doing that video. Obviously, there's a food theme to that because today we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000. So we're keeping along with that whole food theme. All right. This series is entitled Your Slightly Improved Life. Why? Why is it your slightly improved life? Because experts tell us, like life transformation experts, they tell us that it's the slight adjustments that we make. Even when we're facing like a huge problem and our tendency is to look for like this big adjustment that we need to make, that most often, almost 100% of the time, the answer lies in a slight adjustment, not a huge adjustment to our life. Slight adjustments, impressive improvements. Okay. This guy was found floating in the ocean. He was found by an Italian fishing boat. They fish him out. They kind of nurse him back to health, and he spends two weeks with them on the boat before they get back to, to port. He has amnesia. He has no idea who he is. Like, he, he keeps looking in the mirror saying, who are you? Who are you? Tell me who you are. He has no idea who he is, but he's got to figure it out. So here's, here's the clues he looks for. He starts looking for clues and things that he just does. Like habits. He doesn't know where the habit comes from because he has amnesia. But he just all of a sudden starts doing stuff. He sees a rope. He ties a knot with it. It's like, hmm, wonder why I did that. I don't know. He sees like a bar on the ship and he just starts doing pull-ups. He must have had a deep habit of working out and staying in shape. They finally get back to port. And he makes his way to Italy. I mean, no, he's in Italy. He makes his way to Switzerland. Sorry. And the reason why is, is when they fished him out of the ocean, he had two bullets in his back and he had a Swiss bank account embedded in his hip. So he makes his way to Switzerland and he's there before the bank opens and it's the middle of the night and he's cold, he's tired. So he's sleeping on a park bench and two police officers come by and they poke him with the nightstick and say, you can't sleep here. He's like, okay, okay. And then they kind of shove the nightstick at him again. And then instinctively all of a sudden, boom, he grabs the nightstick. And before he knows it, like in the blink of an eye, he drops both of those police officers and takes the gun away and like dismantles the gun or whatever and just runs away, gets rid of his coat. You know, why does he do all this stuff? He walks into a restaurant and he memorizes all the license plates on the cars. He can tell you that his waitress is left-handed. He can tell you the guy at the bar weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. He knows the best place to find a gun. And he knows that even though they're way up in the mountains, that he can flat out run for a half a mile before his hands start shaking. Who is he? His name is Jason Bourne from the international bestseller, The Bourne Identity. And the movie trailer says this, the only way for him to survive is for him to figure out who he is. Now that's pretty good. You know why? Because the only way for us to survive and thrive is that we figure out who we are. That's why John writes this whole biography. He wants us to be really clear on the identity of Jesus. Because his premise is this. Once we figure out who Jesus is and we get clear on that, because we're made in the image of Jesus, we'll figure out who we are. Now, reportedly Aristotle said this. He didn't. Will Durant, a writer, said this uh, 100-ish years ago. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. Jesus says this in John 5, 36. Very interesting. Uh, everybody respects John the Baptist, right? And so Jesus uh, talks about John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is a Jesus. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus is the Messiah, right? 
John says, I'm not even worthy untied Jesus' sandals. So he gives a great testimony, right, about Jesus Christ. But Jesus says this in John 5, 36. This is very interesting. I have a proof about myself that is greater than John, anything that John said. The things I do are my proof. Well, there it is right there. The things I do are my proof. So Jesus is saying, don't look at anybody's claims about me. Don't look at even my own claims. Look at the things I do. Do you like what you see Jesus doing? Think about that as we go through this message. I want to read you this story. It's in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. You have a multitude of people. They're out in the wilderness. And we pick it up in verse number 8. It says this, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the disciples. And he spoke up and said, There is a boy here who has five small barley loaves of bread and two tiny sardine-type fish. What good is that with all these people? People were hangry. The ground was covered with grass. Jesus said to his disciples, Have the people sit down. About 5,000 men were in the crowd. Jesus took the bread in his hands. He gives thanks to God. Then he passed the bread to the people, and he did the same with the fish until everyone had plenty to eat. The people ate all they wanted, and Jesus told his disciples to gather up the leftovers so that nothing would be wasted. The disciples gathered them up and filled 12 large baskets with what was left over from the five barley loaves. After the people had seen Jesus work this miracle, they began saying, this must be the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, I want to stop right there for one second. Verse number 14, this must be the prophet. So in Deuteronomy 18, Moses, the prophet, the standard bearer of all prophets says, a prophet like me, but greater than me, a prophet like me is going to come. Moses, what did he do? Moses fed people with bread from heaven called manna out in the wilderness. And now Jesus, a prophet, the connection to Moses is constant in the biography of Jesus in the Gospel of John, right? Constant. So here's Jesus. He's out in the wilderness, just like Moses is. Moses has a multitude. Jesus has a multitude of people. And Jesus supplies bread from heaven. He takes these few little pieces of bread, gives thanks to God, and a multitude is fed, just like Moses. Now, there's a strange twist here that is always like, what is that about? In verse 15, always confused me. Jesus realized that they would try to force him to be their king. So he went up on a mountain where he could be alone. So like he runs away. He goes, why does Jesus do that? I mean, isn't this what you want to be king? I mean, maybe their motivation is wrong, but let's just go with it, all right? Because at the end of the day, everything is going to be cool. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it because it's inconsistent with the story that is unfolding in Scripture. And everything for them was story. So much for us is all about it's all about just facts. Just give me the facts. Matter of fact, I saw Richard Dawkins in a debate one time. He's one of the world's most famous atheists. And he's, he's debating with a person. And he says, why, if God feels some way about something, why all these stories? Just say it. Just give us the facts. Just give us the facts. And I thought to myself, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Just give us the facts, because that's my culture. That's Dawkins' culture. But that's not the culture of the Bible. That's not their culture. And for us to understand things their way, we're going to have to get into their culture. And their culture was a story-driven culture. And the reason Jesus says, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen, I'm going to pull away, is because they wanted to make him their king, their king, like the king of just Israel, who was going to bring justice just 
for them. Now, listen, we all crave justice. We all want justice. Justice is something that cries out deeply within us. When we experience injustice, we're like, no. When we see injustice, when we hear of injustice, we're like, no. I read Brian Stevenson's book, you know, not too long ago. It's, it's, it's like story after story after story. Recently, he had the movie come out about it. Maybe you've seen it, okay? Story after story of injustice. You're like, no, that's wrong. But when we see things made right, when we see somebody who suffers a terrible injustice, but man, they stand up against it and think like, yes. This past week, April 15th. April 15th is famous for tax day, but this year we didn't have to do our taxes, right? It's the consolation for quarantine, okay? What else happened on April 15th? Well, in 1947, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier when he debuted for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yes. Jackie Robinson was an incredible athlete, and he suffers terrible injustice. If you watch the movie or you read the book, man, you're going to see that. You're going to feel bad. Probably drove him to an early grave because of all the stress that he went through. But something about see him break that barrier and do things the right way and stand up against all that was going on. I mean, to fight against that his own urge just to really lash back, but he did it. He had encouragement of others. Like the owner and the manager, Branch Rickey of the Dodgers, who was a deeply committed Christian, right? He had encouragement. Jackie Robinson himself a Christian. He does it the right way. And when you get to the end, you just want to stand up and applaud Jackie Robinson and cheer. Well, that's what, that's the story of Jesus. God says, look, I'm going to create the whole world because I love the world, right? So he keeps all creation out of tremendous love. Humanity turns. Uh, are back on God. Everything goes horribly wrong. Injustice, broken relationship, blah, blah, blah. And then God says, out of my great love, I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down. Jesus Christ, I'm going to come. I'm going to live the life that you should have lived. I'm going to preach and teach and show you the way. Just follow me. Follow me. And then he suffers a terrible injustice. All the disciples run away because like, well, that didn't work. And then the resurrection happened. And they're like, oh, that really did work. That is the way that we're all going to experience ultimate justice, the righting of all the wrongs. Not justice for some, justice for all. Now, we're really good at justice for some. We have a long track record of bringing justice for some. But Jesus Christ is bringing justice for all. He's not going to be just a particular group's king. He's going to bring justice for all. He's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords of everybody because he wants to bring justice. He wants to right every wrong for every person. Every person, not just some people. Uh, Douglas Murray says in his book, well, he just gives a story after story about this. The book is The Madness of Crowds. He says this, that, you know what, we just have a long history of bringing justice for some. And he says what historically happens, you have a group of people who are oppressed, and they rise up and they start oppressing other people. That's not true justice. That's false justice. True justice is a justice for all. And that is a very inspiring story. So they looked at this, that Jesus Christ is bringing justice for all. He's righting all of these wrongs and that his resurrection proves that God's story is in action and he's making an invitation to all of us to follow him in the great restoration project of this world and to extend his ways to not just have our lives transformed, but to have the world transformed by following his will and following his ways. And it's just such an inspiring and compelling story. And that is what will truly change the world. I love this quote by uh, Austrian philosopher Ivan Illich. He says, if you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. Look, commands don't change the world. That's why it's a story-driven culture, because stories are what truly changes the world. Commands don't work. 
Don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive. Just say no. What we know, what the experts will tell us, and what I will share with you in the weeks to come is that just doesn't work. What we need is an alternative story. What we need is a compelling story. And this story of Jesus Christ and the reason the world has changed so much is because his story is so awesome and compelling that he loves and he forgives. And he's hanging on a cross with people who have put him there. And he says, Father, forgive them. We're like, whoa, forgiveness, love, justice, equality, service. What Jesus does, not just what he says, what he does, what he lives out is the very thing that, as I said last week, it rehumanizes us. What does that mean? It means that we, you and I will finally be the people that we were created and meant to be. And we know that we long to be that. Now listen, Blaise Pascal, he says it this way, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And I just want to suggest to you right from the get-go of this, why should you really listen to Jesus and a world filled with people who are telling you how to change your life? Why should he be the voice above all other voices? It's because his story is like no other story of bringing justice for all people. His story is awesome. Who doesn't love that story? Who doesn't, who doesn't just like crave it deep down in our hearts and our souls? And so I want to encourage you because the things I'm getting ready to share to you, particularly this one today, you're going to say, man, is that going to really work? Why should I do that? I don't think that's just too small. That's just too much of a, I mean, John, give me something awesome. Give me something awesome. I just want to say this is the way Jesus Christ lived. This was the spiritual habit of Christ. And we should listen to him because it is his life and his story that is so deeply, deeply transformative. All right, the feeding of the 5,000. He's out in the wilderness just like Moses. He feeds them with bread, bread from heaven just like Moses, as was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. And in the midst of that moment, with all the tension on and everybody's hangry, right, he stops and he's got this little bit of bread. He's got this little tiny, I mean, if it was me, I don't know about you, but if it was me there, I would be complaining about the bread. I'd be saying, this is all we've got. I'd be complaining about my disciples. Why didn't you pack more? I'd be complaining about the people. What's wrong with them? Are they stupid? They came all the way out here in the middle of the wilderness and they didn't bring food? What's wrong with them? But instead of him getting angry at everybody and complaining, he stops and is grateful. He gives thanks. He gives thanks for this little, tiny, insignificant amount of bread. And the Bible says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. So he stops and gives thanks. Now, that was a major spiritual habit in the life of Jesus Christ. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, he's on the road with some of his disciples who do not recognize him. Why they don't, I don't know. They can't recognize him. God kept him from recognizing. That's the best we can do with this. And he's teaching them the word and he's talking and he, they finally reach their location after a couple hours. And they're like, please come have, have a meal with us. He's like, no, I got to go. And they insisted. So he goes in and then he stops before the meal and he gives thanks to God for the meal. And at that moment, boom, their eyes were opened. That was such a habit. That was such a spiritual habit that when they saw Jesus do it, their eyes were opened once again. Do you have the same spiritual habit as Jesus does? Because having an attitude of gratitude and giving thanks is the first thing that we are told here in the major turning point here in the Gospel of John. We're going from many things that he was saying to the things that he was doing, his works, as I said in John 5, 36, believe me because of the things you see me doing. And this is what he does. He stops in a moment of tremendous intensity and frustration and stress. And he gives thanks because that was his spiritual habit. And what he gives thanks for, what he appreciates, appreciates. 
whatever you appreciate is going to appreciate. You know, giving gratitude totally rewires your brain. You'll see the world differently. It'll affect you, not just spiritually. It'll affect you mentally. It'll affect you physically. It'll affect you emotionally. Give thanks. And if you're experiencing trouble in some area of your life, focus in on that particular. Jesus had trouble here. There's not enough food. And so he dials in. He says, let me find something I can give thankful for in our shortage of food. Ah, we have a tiny bit. Let me give thanks to God for the tiny bit we have. And then it grows, grows, grows. Pick that thing and begin to show appreciation for some aspect of it that you can give appreciation and thanks to God for it. And whatever you appreciate will begin to appreciate to the point of abundance here. It is God's will for us to give thanks. Paul says it, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, keep thanking God because of Jesus Christ. This is what God wants you to do. Do you have the same spiritual habit as Jesus did? To give thanks, to have an attitude of gratitude. I want to challenge you, get a notebook, tiny little notebook. I have one beside my bed right now. I want to encourage you to do this. Write down one thing before you fall asleep at night. One thing that you're thankful for. I don't know. Could be you're, you're, you're thankful for some person that is in your life. Somebody is in your house. You know, relationships are under stress. Instead of being frustrated for what you don't have or for what's wrong about the situation, thank God for what's right with the situation. Write down something that you're thankful. Thank you, Lord, for, and write that thing down and do that every single night for the next five weeks. It takes three weeks for something to become a habit, but we're Washingtonians. We're overachievers. We're going to do it for five weeks. Do that. Write one thing, not two things, not 10 things, not 20, just, just one, one every night. And in the morning when you wake up, you're probably like me. You reach for the phone. First thing you reach for, don't reach for the phone first. First, reach for the notebook and review and give thanks to God for what you wrote the night before. And then night after night after night, one thing, night after night after night, one thing, and it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. And whatever you appreciate is going to appreciate. Take on the things that Jesus does. How are we going to figure out who we truly are? We're going to figure out by the things we do. What do you repeatedly do? That's going to set the tone. That's where the transformation, that's how you're going to experience the power of Jesus Christ, his resurrection power. The righting of all wrongs is what resurrection represents. You're going to experience that and that's going to be awesome. Now I'd like to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody participating in this service today. And I want to thank you, God, that you have good plans, great plans, awesome plans for every single person, that you want to right wrongs, that you want to put things back together, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords who brings justice for all of us. And Lord, as we show appreciation this week, as we have an attitude of gratitude, cause those things in our lives that we're experiencing a lack to appreciate, to grow into abundance as we follow your spiritual habits, Jesus, in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody, for being a part of this service today. God bless you. See you next week.